Good morning. Hope you're doing well. I miss you. I miss being with you in this room, uh, teaching God's word and studying the word with you. But uh, we're going to make the best we can with what we've got. And so we're going to keep moving forward, teaching the book of Exodus for the next few weeks. Um, And as you're sitting at home or on your phone or wherever it is that you're watching this video, I hope that you'll join me uh, in studying God's word together. So find your Bible and uh, find Exodus chapter 17. And we've been looking at the book of Exodus for the last few weeks now, and um, God has brought his people out of Egypt. He's brought his people out of slavery and oppression, and now he's drawing his people to his own presence on his mountain there at Mount Sinai. But they have to get there from Egypt, and so they're wandering through the wilderness following a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They're unsure of what's next, but they're trusting in God to provide and to lead them. Now, this might be a timely message for us, right? We're kind of wandering in a wilderness. We're not sure what things are supposed to be like. Things are off. Schedules have been changed. In a real way, we're freed up in ways that maybe we haven't been before. And we need help. We need a God who's in control of all things. We need a God who is with us. We need a God who is bigger than our problems. And what we're going to see in Exodus 17 and 18 is that the God of Scripture is awesome. And he is gracious, and he is our helper. God interacts with you and me by his grace, right? God is just, he's holy. There is nothing that God needs, and yet we are sinful, and we are not holy, and we are incredibly needy. God doesn't owe you or me anything. And yet by grace, he steps down and meets us where we are. He gives us good gifts, he blesses us, he gives us even himself, And it's receiving these good gifts of God's power and his presence, even though we can't merit them on our own, that shows that God is gracious. We get what we don't deserve. That's grace. And in this text, chapter 17 and 18 of the book of Exodus, we're going to see four, three ways, rather, where uh, God is gracious to help his people. So first, we're going to see that God is gracious to help when we lack faith. God is gracious to help his people when we lack faith. Let's start in Exodus 17 in verse 1. It says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel. And because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Let's pray before we go any further. God in heaven, we know that you are our helper. We know that you are able to graciously give that which we need. And in a time like this, in a season like this, God, we're aware of our need. We're aware of our weakness. We're aware of our lack of wisdom. So we pray that you might meet us where we are. And by your grace, help us for your glory and for our good. We pray that we would see your truth and behold your glory here in this text this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, we'll get to Israel's grumbling in, in a moment right here at the beginning of this text. But for now, we need to see that Israel had a very real need, right? So they were camped at Rephidim and they didn't have any water. They're wandering through the wilderness without water. Now, we've mentioned this before, but there are certainly times when we're clearly aware of our needs, right? When we're hungry, we know we need food. And if we get the wind knocked out of us or maybe we're underwater, we know that we need air. And when we're thirsty and dehydrated, we know that we need water. Now, often being aware of our needs is actually a great kindness from God. We often live as though we're self-sufficient. And so when we become aware of our needs, we can better cling to and ask to have help from our helper. We need to remember that we need God because often we forget. And so God saw the distress of his people. He saw their need. He saw that they lacked water. And as any good father, the Lord longs to provide for his children. But they continue to grumble. Over and over again, we've already seen in the book of Exodus, these people grumble. These people complain. These people don't trust the Lord. They continue to accuse God of wanting to kill them rather than provide for them. I mean, look again at verse 3. It says, The people there thirsted for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our own children and our livestock with thirst? See, they're asking Moses, Why did you bring us out here in the first place? We're going to die out here. Is that what you want? You want us to die? You want to kill us? So Moses rightly goes to God. That's the right example for us to follow. Not that we would go and complain to someone or grumble to someone, but that we would go to the Lord. Moses goes to God and he confesses the needs of the people. But notice in verse four that Moses cries to the Lord and says, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. Now what's going on in that sentence? What's going on in that cry? It seems as though that Moses is complaining against Israel. Right? He's grumbling to God about these, these people. He didn't choose these people. God chose Moses. So he also begins to include a bit of complaining as well. And here, here's the point. Grumbling and complaining is contagious. Now, I use that word intentionally because we recognize in a very real sense right now what being contagious is like and how important and drastic and uh, intense that can be. So when we groan and we complain and we grumble, it can be contagious. Now, listen to Galatians Chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, if anyone's caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now that makes sense, right? But it keeps going. It says, Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So what's Paul trying to tell us in Galatians? And what do we see here in the book of Exodus? We see that when sin is in the camp, when sin is around us, when we are living our lives sinfully around one another, we can become tempted, if we're not on our guard, to join in that sin, to join in that complaining, to join in that grumbling, to join in that kind of temptation. That's what happened in the book of Exodus. That's what happened with Moses. And yet, even though they did not deserve to be helped because of their disobedience, because of their grumbling, because of their accusations against God, God does not deal with Israel according to their obedience, but according to his grace. God is gracious towards his people, even when they don't deserve it. He miraculously provides through Moses by striking a rock with his staff. God is clearly the helper here. Moses doesn't make water come out of rocks, right? God does. God's miraculous provision is taking place through Moses, through his obedience, through his actions, God is providing. So the application for us is this question. 
Do you have a need? Do you have a need? Do you lack faith? Do you lack trust in God? Do you lack resources? Because you and I are able to cry out to God who owns all things, who is in control of all things, and he can help us. He is able to bring help and healing and blessing to you and me if we would trust in him. When we lack resources, when we lack faith, we can cry out to God. But our attitude should not be one of grumbling and complaining. It's not as though we go to the Lord wondering why he hasn't given us what we need already. Instead, we go to the Lord recognizing our own need, recognizing our lack of faith or our lack of resources. And we go to God and say, God, I'm I'm needy. I'm in need of your grace. I'm in need of your help. Will you help me? Those are the kind of prayers I think that God loves to answer. Our attitude should not be one of grumbling and complaining, but of faith. Well, next, we see that God is gracious to help, not just when we lack faith, but when we lack strength as well. When we lack strength. God is gracious to help when we lack strength. We keep going in chapter 17. Now, after Israel gets water from the rock there at Meribah and Massah, they need to move on, but they encounter a new enemy. Now it's not this lack of resources, but it's Amalek and his people, the Amalekites. Now, the first Amalek was the grandson of Esau, Jacob's brother. So way back in the book of Genesis, you remember that uh, Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. One, Jacob uh, was the one that God favored, and Esau was the one who lost out on his birthright, lost out on his promises, lost out on his father's blessing. And from Esau's line came Amalek, and his people became the Amalekites. Now, they were a nomadic people. They wandered around, and they would attack other nations and uh, plunder them so that they could gain in strength and in power. So the Amalekites come to Israel, probably hearing that they're wandering away from Egypt and from any military stronghold, and therefore they're probably defenseless. Now let's see what happens. (coughs) Let's read chapter 17, starting in verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other one on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Here we meet Joshua for the first time. He was a warrior who led Israel to defeat Amalek, but we know from this story it wasn't Amalek. It wasn't Joshua, rather, who defeated Amalek. It wasn't Joshua's power that the battle was won with. No, it was God's power. Moses, in the meantime, held up his staff and Israel prevailed. When he was weak, when he couldn't hold the staff up anymore, others were there to bear the burden with him. So soon after the Moses and Aaron and Hur were raising up the staff, Joshua and the Israelites eventually defeated the Amalekites. Now verses 14 through 16 show us the ultimate purpose, right? God is going to get glory through the destruction of his enemies and through the salvation of his people. 
There's much for us to see here. So let's just quickly look at a few points. First, Joshua was faithful to obey the words of Moses and presumably, therefore, the words of God. It would have been scary, right, to go into this battle against a nation that is known for their warfare, known for their combat, surrounded by your nation that is not trained in warfare, not trained in combat. It would have been terrifying. Israel would have been weak in comparison. But this time, it seems that they believed the Lord would give them strength. Led by Joshua, they went into the battle with faith. And second, it doesn't seem like holding up a staff would have any effect on the battle, right? It, it doesn't seem like it makes sense that holding up a staff over Moses' head would lead to Joshua and the army of Israel to defeat the Amalekites. These two things don't seem to have any connection, but obviously they do, right? Moses raising up that staff signified a confession that God is over us. Remember, this is the staff of God. So God is over us, and he's over this battle. Perhaps a similar practice in your life and mine would be prayer, right? Praying signifies that we trust God is in control, that he's able to strengthen us when we're weak. So when you and I need strength to obey, it's good to pray. It's good to ask God to help us when we're weak. Third, Moses could not do this alone, right? Don't, don't miss this. Moses couldn't hold up that staff by himself forever. He needed Aaron and Hur. He needed his brothers around him to keep him faithful, to keep him obedient. Now, you and I might be separated right now physically, but we're not completely separated, right? Even in this time, you and I need one another. And I need someone to help me bear my burdens. You need someone to help you bear your burdens. And as the body of Christ as this church body, we exist to come together and live as a body does. You're a member of the body. I'm a member of the body. And we have a responsibility and a privilege to come together with one another to love and to live in faithfulness to Jesus. Now, last, we see that God is gracious to help strengthen his people. <coughs> in Christ, the Holy Spirit strengthens the church to be faithful and strong in the midst of what looks like impossible situations. Now, we're there right now, right? You look on the news, you think about your own life, your own schedule. It seems like an impossible situation. How is the church going to be faithful? How are we going to live out our lives as Christians when we're stuck at home? And the answer is there are so many ways that God can strengthen us and encourage us and empower us to be salt and light in the midst of this generation, in the midst of this world. He can encourage us to shine as light in the darkness to use this time of suffering to be reminded of his faithfulness, of his goodness, of his power. When we are weak, Paul says, then we're strong. Well, third, God is gracious to help us, not just when we lack faith, not just when we lack strength, but thirdly and finally, when we lack wisdom. God is gracious to help you and me when we lack wisdom. So finally, in chapter 18, we come to the reunion of Moses and his family. Jethro, remember the priest of Midian we met back in Exodus chapters 3 and 4, uh, and Zipporah and her children all returned to Moses from Midian. You see this in verses 1 through 12 of chapter 18. We're not going to have time to read it this morning. But we see that Jethro and his family come back from Midian to Moses there at the foot of Mount Sinai. And they learn of all that God has done among the Egyptians. They learn about the plagues. They learn about what God has done to deliver Egypt out of, deliver Israel rather, out of Egypt. And Jethro begins then to worship Yahweh, to worship the God of Israel. And he says this in verse 11. He says, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Remember, that's the whole purpose, 
right? That God would be known among the nations as the true God, that he is the Lord who is worthy of glory. And that's exactly what Jethro is doing. This priest of Midian is worshiping Yahweh for how he has saved his people. But then Jethro gets to see how his son-in-law was leading the people of Israel. Every day, Moses would settle disputes between Israelites. He would sit down and two parties would come in front of him and they would have a problem. And Moses would kind of Uh, take the role of the judge and he would arbitrate between the two and he would say, you're right, you're wrong. Here's what the Lord says. Here's what the rule should be and here's how you ought to live. He would do this day in, day out from morning to evening. Some of these disputes were very big, but many of these disputes were very small. And he would give them counsel from the Lord and help them to seek peace. But let's listen to what Jethro thinks about all this. Let's listen to his response. So look at chapter 18, starting in verse 17. It says, Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier with you for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace." Let's just stop there and think about what Jethro is saying. Jethro wants his son-in-law, Moses, to lead wisely. He wants him to be wise. He wants him to lead and live his life as the leader of this people, as the mediator between God and the people of Israel. He wants him to do all of those things rightly and well. And what he was doing and what he was going to do was going to exhaust him. It was going to keep him from actually doing what God had called him to do, to lead his people. It wasn't going to allow any other leaders, furthermore, to develop. It wasn't going to allow Moses to find someone and train them up to also be a leader. Instead, Jethro tells Moses to delegate his leadership. Jethro tells Moses, hey, look, you don't have to be the only one that does this. You can actually find other able men among the people of Israel that you can trust to make other decisions. Now, right here, we need to understand that Jethro isn't critiquing Moses' motivation, right? Moses has a great motivation. He wants, the people to be, he wants the people of Israel to follow God. He wants them to know God's word. He wants them to follow in obedience to God's commands. Jethro wasn't critiquing his motivation, but he was critiquing his method, right? And Moses' method was, I am the only one who can do this. I'm the only one who can give people what they really need to follow God well. So here's this new convert, right, Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, giving advice to the leader of the people of Israel. But Jethro is also someone who has lived a long time. He's someone who has shepherded. He's someone who has accrued a, a large amount of practical wisdom. And you and I need this too, don't we? Right? We can study the Bible, and we can learn good things, and we can know good doctrine. But if we don't have wisdom, we won't be able to live well. We won't be able to live rightly. Now, thankfully, the Bible teaches us how to live wisely, but we also need voices in our life. We need people around us sharing with us and leading us and guiding us, giving us counsel and advice, just like Jethro did. The Bible is our tutor. It is our ultimate guide. Why? Because it shows us who God is. It shows us how the Lord acts. 
And part of growing as a Christian is seeing that sometimes we need to change our method to better facilitate our, motiv- our motivation and our intentions. And that's exactly what Moses did. Listen to verse 24. It says, So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Right? See what happens. Moses was freed up to lead the people better. Why? Because he delegated his authority to other trustworthy Israelites. The motivation stayed the same, right? That Israel would know God's word, that they would follow his commands, that they would live lives of obedience. But the practice changed. Now, maybe for you, you're thinking about this new season of life that we're in, right? For the next few weeks or maybe even longer, we don't know, but we know where we are right now and we know that it's not normal. It's not the same. It's not the same rhythm of life. We want to grow in Christ's likeness. We want to continue to grow in holiness. We want to continue to grow in our love and our knowledge of God. But the method might need to change depending on this new circumstance that we're in. Have you considered seeking out a mentor? Like, have you considered reaching out to someone, talking with them while you're at home and asking them about life, asking them about what does it mean to follow Jesus? Have you considered spending consistent chunks of time reading and studying God's word? You've been freed up. A lot of you have, right? Musicians, athletes. I mean, all of you have so much more time maybe than you normally did. Have you considered spending that time with the word of God? Have you practiced honoring your parents in new ways as you figure out how to live life together in this situation. I mean, James 1.5 tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. He who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So you and I need wisdom, right? We may have some knowledge, but we need wisdom. We need to know how to live in this current context that we're in. We need to know how to navigate these new waters that we're in. We need wisdom. We need to know how to live rightly. So let's ask God. Let's pray right now and ask him to shore up our faith in the midst of uncertainty, to give us strength to carry on when we're weak, and wisdom to do all these things well. Students, if you and I are in Christ, then we can trust that these are prayers that God wants to answer. Why? Because this is how Jesus lived. Jesus lived a life full of faith in his Father. Jesus lived a life recognizing his own physical weaknesses and trusting in his Father for strength. And Jesus lived wisely. He lived away in a way that glorified God. He lived in a way that was right. So let's pray and ask God through this text and through the needs that we've seen that he would help us in the midst of our lack of faith, our lack of strength, and our lack of wisdom. Let's pray. God in heaven, we need you. God, right now in this season of life when things are so far out of our control and it seems like we're walking through a fog, it seems like nothing makes sense, God, we're aware of our own inadequacy, aware of our own need. And Lord, we confess and know that God, you have defeated our greatest enemy. You have met our greatest need. You've given us salvation through Christ. You've defeated sin and death in the grave. And now you've called us to live a life full of the spirit of God walking in Christ-likeness and obedience to your commands. And so we ask you, God, to help. Your word shows us clearly here that you are a helper. 
that you delight to help your children, to bless and to equip, to empower, to encourage your children. So God, we're asking now, fully aware of our weaknesses, fully aware of our needs, God, would you help us? Would you allow this time to be a time of pruning and proving and cultivating faithfulness and holiness in our own lives? God, would this actually turn into a great blessing in the life of your children and in the life of your church? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.